Has anybody been ex- exercising authority? Remember last week we had Kanisha come up with her flagger outfit? Her traffic control outfit. And she held up the stop sign and the slow sign. Yesterday we were driving uh, from 100 Mile and, and there was a sign, construction ahead, obey all signs, 50 kilometers. And I kind of forgot the 50 kilometer part. And I'm buzzing along, catching up to the guy in front of me. And all of a sudden, this traffic control person kind of jumps out of nowhere and starts just, <laughs> just waving the, the thing at me. And I just kind of chuckled. I put my brakes on. I slowed down. And I thought, she's got authority. Uh, she's got authority. She might be small. She might be screaming at me. She might be yelling at me. Slow down, you idiot. What are you trying to do? But you know what? I obeyed the signs. Authority. Every one of us here has authority based on our relationship with God. Every one of us has authority based on our relationship with God. And I want to take a few minutes this morning. I want to look at authority. And I'd like to look at it from God's perspective as to what God sees when he talks to us about authority. What does God see? Do you know when God talks, he talks to your future? He doesn't talk to your past. He doesn't go, oh, you did terrible. What you see when you see scripture and verse after verse, you see God looking to the children of Israel, to the people that he's talking to, and he's talking to their future. Sometimes he's talking and he's predicting some very harsh things, but he's looking to their future. And it's, it's interesting because we, we sometimes think God is a bad God. God is not a bad God. Even... When God sent Jonah to Nineveh, do you know how Jonah responded? Well, you know how he took off the other way, and then he got swallowed by this great big fish, and then he gets burped up onto the dry land three days later. Can you imagine? We were watching some shows this week about Shark Week. Can you imagine being in the belly of a big fish for three days and then getting burped up you know and 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 his response to God is I if I go there they're going to repent and you find that there's instance after instance when God actually says if you don't do this if you don't follow me, this will happen. And people change their ways and they follow him, even ungodly nations. We sometimes think it's all about Israel, but there's even ungodly nations that God looks at and his heart and passion and love for them says, you need to change your ways or else something will happen. And they change their ways. You want to have a good laugh? Read the book of Jonah. And look at how Jonah responds to God. I mean, I think God, he gets sunstroke. He's sitting there outside the town looking at the town. And God gives him a little plant that grows up and gives him shade. And the next day God sends a worm and the worm destroys the thing. And, he gets, and he's like in the depths of despair and he's crying out to God. 
And God saves that nation. And there's an authority that you and I walk in that we actually are emissaries and ambassadors for the king. And when you look at creation, if you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I want to take a couple minutes in Genesis and then we're going to flip through to John. The first recorded conversation that God had with man. The first recorded conversation that God had with man is found in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in verse 26. We're going to read 26, 27, and 28. I made it real easy for you. Genesis, first book of the Bible. Like, just go to the front page and just flip a couple over and you'll get there real fast. Thank you for smiling, Fernanda. That was a funny joke, wasn't it? <laughs> I remember doing cross, doing, doing Bible sword drills. And I would hate it when they'd pick Malachi or Malachi. Or they'd go to, to Job or, or Zechariah. Or you'd have to find Habakkuk. I mean, where is that book? But when they said Genesis, it was like, ah. Oh, or, or Revelation, it was like, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. But please don't put me in somewhere trying to find Zechariah or Zephaniah or Haggai. Those were tough. So Genesis chapter 1. This is a conversation that God has with man. And it starts in verse 26. And God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over... All the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then this is the conversation that God has with man. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's original design and creative thought for you and I was that you and I would, would uh, be fruitful. That we'd multiply. That we'd replenish or fill the earth. That we would subdue it and that we'd rule over it or have dominion over it. Five things. That is God's original thoughts and design for you and I. His original thought and design from the creation of our lives and our being and our ancestry was that you would be fruitful. God is interested in you being fruitful. God is interested in you multiplying. God is interested in you filling the earth. The word replenish does not mean to replenish that it was the the leap the depleted, but it means to fill. It was empty, it needed to be filled. And then he says he also wants you to subdue it, take it under control. And then he says, and have dominion or rule over. That is God's original thoughts and design for you and I. He does not say, um, I want you to be miserable. 
I want you to be subtracting. I want you to have people ruling over you. He says, no, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, fill, subdue, and have dominion. That was God's thought from the start. And then we know what happened in the Old Testament and Adam and Eve and, and the story of, of the deception that Satan came. But that does not change God's plan. That does not change God's mind. God's original thoughts were thoughts of authority. God's original thoughts were for you and I to walk in authority, power and influence over everything that creeps on the earth. Every creep. No, I'm just saying, nobody caught that. God wants you to have authority over the birds, the fish, the cattle, everything that creeps on the earth. He wants you to rule and reign over everything. He wants you to have and to exercise your authority. Now if you can turn to John 15. And I want to look at some words that Christ had in John 15. And I've asked Justin if he could read... So if you can come up, son, and read verses 1 through to the end of verse 11. John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. Jesus is the vine. And in that passage in Genesis 1, and the first thing he says is to be fruitful. This morning, I want to look at being fruitful and how that is our position of authority in Christ. As a position of authority, you can expect to be fruitful. When you study it throughout the, the book of Genesis, 
Time and time again, God talks to Moses, he talks to Noah, he talks to Joseph, and he tells them, be fruitful, be fruitful, be fruitful, multiply. God's intent is for you and I to have fruit. God's intent is for you and I to bear fruit. Do you know we are bearing fruit? We are bearing fruit. Sometimes I guess we just need to check what the fruit is that we're bearing. Some people say, well, no, I'm not bearing fruit. Yeah, you are bearing fruit. You're bearing something that is not very good, but it's fruit. Just as in the law of sowing and reaping, you are always sowing and you are always reaping. Sometimes we think, no, it's only sowing when I'm getting the harvest. No, sometimes we're getting a harvest of what we don't want. We're getting a harvest of nothing. Because I sowed nothing. And in the same way, we are always bearing fruit. Psalm 1, it says, blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, and he doesn't stand in the way of the sinners. He's given you three pictures of what somebody should not be doing. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf will not wither and whatever he does shall. Pardon me. Prosper. That's talking, you talk about being fruitful. You talk about being, God's design, God's desire, and God's passion for you is that you would bear fruit. In fact, as you read this passage, he's not just interested in you bearing fruit, he's interested in you bearing much fruit. He's an increasing kind of God. He always wants you to get more and more and to increase and to grow. Why? Because if you read this passage, it says, so that he will be glorified. It has nothing to do with the tree or the fruit that you're producing so much as it has to do with the vine and who is the vine, and that's Jesus. So I've got about 15 or 16 or so thoughts about fruitfulness this morning that I want to give you. So you better pray for me because it's 22. And usually I do three verse, or three thoughts and it takes me 45 minutes. And I got like 17 or 18. I think I 19. It's like a fish story. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. I got 19. I want to show you some thoughts just from this passage in John 15 about fruitfulness. And what I'm asking God to do is for you to get a seed of faith. And some expectation inside of you so that when you leave today, you will expect some things to happen around you. And you will expect to see some fruit in your life. You can tell when somebody's living because they get fruit. Jesus walked by a fig tree and it had no fruit on it. And he cursed it and the next day they came by and it was withered up. God isn't interested in no fruit. He's interested in fruit, much fruit, and more fruit. The first thing I want us to see 
And I've got these down by a bunch of verses. But verse 1 is this is an expectation of God. Fruitfulness is an expectation that God has for you and I. Why? Because it says that Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser or the husband. The guy who takes care of the vine. And a farmer always has an expectation. A farmer always has an expectation. If you walk down any of these farms down here that are growing blueberries and you ask them, are you expecting to have blueberries? Their desire and their want and their their passion is to have the biggest and the best crop ever. They don't go, yeah, I'd like to have a few, a few blueberries this year. You know, I got like five acres, but man, if I could just sell a couple little buckets of blueberries, I'd be a happy, happy man. Now, you talk to a farmer... Oh, it's going to be a good year. Oh, man, I prepared it. It's going to be good. Man, I got, to get, I got to get workers in here so that we can get all the blueberries off and we can sell them and get them in there. He's expecting fruit and he takes care of his blueberries to get fruit. He doesn't just wake up one morning and say, oh, I planted it and then see you in three months. No, they take care of it. Because they're dressing it and preparing it to bear fruit. They have an expectation I don't think a farmer would run out in their field and do something if they didn't expect to get something for it. I wouldn't. Man, if I knew I got zero return on something, I would be having probably giving you zero effort. And God expects fruitfulness. He's the farmer. He is the, the husbandman of that vine. So the first thing I see is it's an expectation of God. Then I see that it's a directive and a direction of God. It's directed of God. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I also see that fruitfulness has protocol. It has order. Who's the vine? And who's the vine dresser? That's the order. That's the process. That's the protocol. Jesus starts by painting him a picture by saying the order of this is that God is in control. Jesus says, my, I am the vine and, you, and my father is the vine dresser. It's a matter of connection. Fruitfulness is a matter of connection. As I, as I shared with you, Psalm 1, the ch- that chapter, Psalm 1, is it tells you, you, they say you are known by the company you keep. Have you ever heard that expression? You're known by the company you keep. If you want to bear fruit in God's kingdom, you have to stay connected to the vine. That's where the source comes from. There's a connection. Next thing I want you to see is in verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. The word prune doesn't mean cutting away. It actually means cleaning. God wants you to bear fruit. And then he says, not only do I want you to bear fruit, but I want you to bear 
more fruit. God is a progressive God. God is progressive. He, he looks at things and he's looking and he's speaking to your future. He's speaking to what lies ahead of you. And he says, I want you to bear fruit. And then he says, and if you've got a branch that's bearing fruit, he says, I want to purge it. I want to clean it so that it will bear more fruit. Sometimes there is more time spent in the cleaning than there is in the gleaning. I am amazed at the raspberry fields out here in Abbotsford. Because they don't just come to life come June and finish in July. But they spend more time in the next three months. They run out there. And right now, if you look at the raspberry fields, there's branches all over the place. I mean, it just looks like they woke up in the morning and they didn't shave. I mean, it's just all over the place. And in about another month and a half, two months, all of a sudden you're going to see those fields being full of people cleaning and pruning and cutting. And what they're doing is they're taking all these long branches and they're cutting them back. And you say, well, that branch bore fruit. And they say, I don't care about last year. I care about next year. And the reason I'm taking this off is so that it can stay closer to the vine and it can get more fruit. And then they take it and they cut all these branches off. And you look down and you see this mess of twigs on the ground. And then they take it and they they bind it together and you see them wrapping it. And they're preparing. And all of a sudden, come around Christmas time, you drive by and you see these fields that have all these arched branches. And all these arched uh, vines of raspberries. And they spend month and day and week after week preparing for just a two-week or three-week or four-week harvest. They spend more time cleaning than they spend gleaning. When you bear fruit, God's interested in the fruit, but he's also interested in more fruit. So how does he clean? How does God clean? The next verse, verse 3, he says, you're already clean. That word clean is the same word as purge. It's the root word of the word purge. They're connected. He says, you're already clean because I've given you the word. In Psalm 119, it says, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. And when you bear fruit, God is interested in progressive and seeing more fruit. And what he does is he takes his word. And when you line up your life against the standard of the word, anything that does not match or line up with the word needs to be cleaned away, taken away. And then you will have more fruit and you'll keep producing. We have, we're a funny bunch of people, humans. We are we got this crazy idea that when we've got things figured out, we don't need God anymore. I had success last week, God. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And God says, no. 
I'm interested in you bearing more fruit. And the way you bear more fruit is you let my word cleanse you. You get into my word. You stay connected with me. And my word will speak to you. And there will be things in my word that will put a finger and a thumb on those areas in your life that you need to deal with. And there will be pictures and times in my word that will come to you. And they'll give you insight and revelation. And you'll grow. And what he's telling them is, is he wants you to bear fruit. And then he says, and I want you to even bear more fruit. God is interested in you bearing more fruit. You say, well, I'm enjoying it now. God wants you to enjoy it more. God is a God who likes to enjoy things. When he created the earth, he he didn't look at it every night and go, what is that? Ah! No, he looked at it all the time and he says, it was good. You look day after day after day when he created something. It's good. It's good. It's good. God is a God that enjoys his creation. Fruitfulness. His desire is that you would have more fruit. It's increased by the cleansing and the cleansing is by the word. It is a trap for us and for myself to fall into. And it's something that I'm constantly aware of that I don't just assume that God will make me successful and then I eliminate God no he makes me successful and what that does is that makes me even get closer to him there's a danger to think that you are successful and all of a sudden I don't need to talk to God anymore the more successful you are the closer you got to get to God The more victories you have, the closer you got to get to him. The more fruit you have, the closer you got to stay with God. The more time you got to spend with him. Let his word cleanse you. Then we get to verse 4. And from verse 4 to verse 12 or so, or verse 16, there's a word that appears 12 times. That's the word abide. And I was taught in Sunday school that when you see a word over and over and over again, you pay attention to it. Because usually that's the main meaning of that paragraph or that verse. And so in this passage from verse 14, uh, 4 to verse 16, there's a word abide that appears 12 times. Abide, remain, continue. Those three words, they're all the same. In some versions it uses different words. In some version it uses uses just the word abide. But there's a word that shows up. And in verse 4 it shows up three times. Do you think it's important that we abide in Christ? Do you think it's important that we stay close to the one who is my source and my strength and my help? It is very easy. I can't stress this enough. But it is very easy to get away from God. Because you know what? I've got this figured out. It is very easy. God, it's okay. It's not a big deal. I got it figured out. This is nothing. And he says, no, this is something. Abide in me. Abide in me. Stay close to me. I want you to have more fruit.
In verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you. God's saying. You abide in me. And I'm going to abide in you. He isn't afraid to connect with you. He's not afraid to identify with you. In fact, he says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. This morning in worship, we're singing about his love and his endless love and his boundless love. And as we are worshiping, I was just overwhelmed by how good God is to me. And when I abide in him, he doesn't say, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to take off. No, he says, I'm going to abide in you. He says, you abide in me and I in you. He says in another passage, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Near the end of John, when he's talking to this father, he says, Lord, heavenly father, dad. He says, all those that you've given me, I've kept. I've kept those. Except for the son of perdition. He says, I've kept those. God is a God that is faithful. Fruitfulness comes from the word abiding. That word abiding has three aspects to it. It has an aspect of place. Do you know that where you abide, the place that you abide is where you grow and where you get nourished? So the word abide has a reference to the neighborhood that you stay in. I've counseled young men who live in a neighborhood that is not a godly neighborhood. I have talked to them and shared with them, but they live in an area that is not a God-fearing area. And I'm talking about spiritually in their lives. Not talking just physically, but I'm talking about where they reside in their minds. There's a place. It's also in reference to time. Pastor, Nelson, uh, Pastor Daniel challenged us a few weeks ago, the 50 days in the word of God. I've spent more time in God's word in the last two and a half weeks than I did before. And I spent a fair bit of time before. But I've been challenged to spend more time. I've been challenged personally to read the Bible more than I read any other book. That's a challenge to me. But I figure if I can read one book for 45 minutes, why can't I read the Bible for 45 minutes? I'm looking for revelation. I'm not looking for someone else's knowledge. And I find the best place for revelation is the Word of God. So I'm abiding, I am spending time with God that I had not spent with before. And my thoughts and my mind is with God literally all the time. But I'm taking a different effort, a different look. And the word abide also is in reference to condition. So we see that the word abide means it can refer to the place, it can refer to time, and it can refer to condition. What is the condition where you're spending your time? As Brother Albert was sharing, the, the, the temptations that some of these young 
children face with, with so much electronics and all these games. And pretty soon, their condition is... I, I talked to a young fella who was distraught. And I'm not kidding. He was distraught because his fantasy game got um, hacked. And he lost a night's worth of sleep because somebody hacked his fantasy game on the computer. And he was going about trying to figure out who it was and how to figure it, fix it. His condition... His condition indicated and showed me that he was not living near the vine. Anybody here want to bear fruit? Anybody here want to be somebody that has results in life? Fruit is results. Fruit is growth. I'm interested in growing in my life. Therefore, when I read this passage, my antenna perks up and it goes, what's he saying? How can I be more fruitful? One of the ways I'm being more fruitful is I watch what neighborhood I spend my time in. I watch where I spend my energy. I watch out where my condition of my life is. One of the ways that I assess to be more fruitful is who am I connected to? I'm giving you some wisdom this morning to make your life more fruitful. I can say that because I'm giving you the word of God. And the word of God is like perfect wisdom. In verse 4, you cannot expect to be fruitful if you do not abide. I know people that want to have fruit in their lives, but they don't come to church. Ouch. I see people who want to be blessed financially, but they don't give. Do you know in Philippians, when Paul is talking about giving, he tells the guys, I'm not asking you to give so that I'm going to benefit. But when I ask you to give, it's so that you will benefit. I'll be honest with you. When I ask you to give, it is so that you will get a benefit. You can't expect to be fruitful if you're not connected to the vine. Sometimes this is real self-explanatory. Don't just plunk your seed down somewhere. Get connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine. I want to walk in authority. I cannot expect to walk in authority if I'm not connected to my heavenly father. There's examples of that in the Bible. Paul, it says that there was, Paul was doing all these amazing miracles. He spent some time in this one community and it got to the point that there was such a demand on his anointing that they would take cloths and that cloth would touch him. It doesn't say that he prayed over them. 
It said a cloth would touch them. They'd take that cloth and demons would flee from a cloth that had touched Paul. And Paul was working and, and, and being involved in these amazing miracles to God's glory. And all of a sudden these guys decided they were going to try to do it. And cast out demons. And they're called the seven sons of Sceva. And it's a very interesting thing. They were not walking in authority because they were not connected to the vine. And the demons, they said, what happened to you? And they said, the demons answered them and said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? If you want to walk in authority in God's kingdom, you got to stay connected to the vine. Stay connected to the vine. If you want fruit, stay connected. If you want relationship with God, stay connected. If you want the benefits of connection, then you've got to stay connected. If you pull the plug, it won't work. Can somebody say amen? If you pull the plug, it's not going to work because it's not connected. And my prayer for you is that you would have fruit and that your fruit would abound and that your fruit would increase and that your fruit would be more fruit and that you would be someone that people come to and run to because you're living a life full of fruit. And fruit is related to authority. Man, it's amazing when you read the Bible that all these topics just like they overlap. I know Pastor Nelson and Pastor Daniel and I sometimes will chat and we'll kind of laugh because one of us might start a study and we're looking at a certain word and all of a sudden we're not at that word, we're way over here because that word led to this thought, which led to this thought, which led to this thought, which led to over here. And then one of us invariably will say, and usually it's me, well I thought you were talking about this. Pastor Daniel says he's black and white. Sometimes I'm just stupid. And, and, and it's like, I thought this was what you're... But it's amazing when you get into God's word, you find that his word is so layered, so full, so rich, and so real that everything is connected to everything. And I'll show you in this passage how much is connected to fruitfulness and to abiding. It's not just being fruitful. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Fruitfulness gives you perspective. You want to bear fruit, you get perspective. It's not about me. It's about him. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is near the end of his time on earth. This is near the end of his ministry. In verse 5, abiding yields to producing. The more you abide, the more you produce. And the more you produce, the more you abide. And the more you abide, the more you produce. And the more you produce, the more you abide. 
And the more you abide, the more you produce. And as long as you keep connected, you'll keep growing. And as long as you keep growing, you'll want to stay connected. And as long as you stay connected, you'll keep growing. And as long as you keep growing, you stay connected. And as long as you... Do you see what happens? It's not a vicious cycle. It's an awesome cycle. It's about abiding. He mentions that word 12 times in the space of like a 30-second conversation. Something I need to pay attention to. In verse 6. If anybody does not abide in me. He's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. And they are burned. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of commentary on that. (laughs) Abiding in him is kind of important. I will say this, you're useless without him. As Pastor Nelson would sometimes say, you're a zero with the rim knocked off. I mean, you're not even a full, complete zero. You're like nothing. Without Christ. Verse 7. If you abide in me, In my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Huh. Abiding is connected to asking. I can't think of a better example than a child. A child, when they're comfortable, they know when to ask and who to ask. My wife and I, if one of us says no, no longer. I mean, our kids now, they, when they ask us now, we say, no, you're on your own. You're an adult. Take care of yourself. <laughs> but when they were small, especially, even now still to a point, but they know who to work, whether it's mommy or daddy. But when they were smaller, the closer they got to you, after a while, you'd figure they were up to something. And they would work it, and they'd get so close to you, and they'd abide with you, and they'd remain with you, and they'd do what you'd have to say, and they would be close to you. And you know what? They'd ask for the moon. I mean, they asked for ridiculous stuff. When you stay close to God and you abide in him and his word abides in you, you can start asking him for ridiculous stuff. It says, ask for the heathen for their inheritance. Other passages, it says, ask whatever you will. In James, it says, you have not because you ask not. And then it says, and when you do ask, you ask so that you can heap it on yourselves. When you ask for your own pleasures, you're not asking the way God wants you to ask. But when you start asking and beseeching God for the nation and for the children of up at Hazleton and for the first nations and for all the children, you start asking them and you're going to see results and fruit. Because you're not asking for yourself, you're asking for them. 
And you start to ask God for things based on his word and what his word says. And all of a sudden, you start seeing things. It says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That was my favorite verse as a teenager. Somebody said, David, come up with a favorite verse. So I thought, wow, I'm going to get whatever I want. I like that verse. So you know what I did? I started to delight myself in the Lord. I started to delight myself in the Lord. What I did find was some of my desires changed. But you know, I wanted to have a car and I didn't want to have a payment on my car. So I said, Lord, I'd like to have a brand new car. Well, I got injured when I was 15 or so. And so for about a year, year and a half, I was on some compensation. Legitimately. (laughs) I graduated from high school and I said, I want to go buy a car. I took my money and I said, Lord, I'm going to, the first thing I'll do is I'm going to put aside money for Bible school. So I took, took the money, the tuition for Bible school, I put it aside. And then I had all this money left over. And you know what? I bought a brand new vehicle. I didn't have a loan. I didn't have a payment. That's from the devil. (laughs) And I believe it's because I delighted myself in the Lord and he gave me the desires of my heart. But what I found was my desires changed. The more I delighted in God, the more my desires were what his desires were. He didn't mind me having a car. He wanted me to have a car. God delights in blessing his kids. I didn't ask for a pink Cadillac. I got a brown Honda Accord. (laughs) And it did what I needed it to do. And then some. It was cool. Abiding connects you with asking. I have seen more parents yield to their children when they abide close to them than when a child is not near their parents. You want to see some parents get worked over, it's because their child is so close to them, loving them. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way. There's something about when a child comes close and pleases the mother and the father. That it's like you want to do whatever you can. And the last thing I have in this is in verse 8. My father is glorified by this. That you bear much fruit. He starts by saying if you want to bear fruit. And then he says you want to bear more fruit. And now he says you bear much fruit. In God's original plan, his creative thought for man was that we would be fruitful. There's five things he says in Genesis, and the first one was that he would be fruitful. That has not changed. I'll say that again. This is a good spot for an amen. God's original and creative thoughts for mankind was that we we would be fruitful. That has not changed. 
And just like you see the account in the Garden of Eden, the relationship and the fellowship, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There was a fellowship and there was an abiding and there was a relationship. And there was an authority that they had from the relationship that they had with God. And God wants you as a believer, as a brother and sister, he wants you to exercise your authority. And part of that is you walking in an expectation of fruitfulness. You can, I expect every believer to be more fruitful than a non-believer. Donald Trump gets all these things. I believe believers can do better than that. And I'm not just talking about material things. But you know what? Material things aren't too bad. I'd rather dress nice than dress ugly. And I think you would appreciate that too. God's plan for you is that you're fruitful. His desire is that you bear fruit. And then once you bear fruit, he says, I want you to bear more fruit. And then once you start bearing more fruit, he says, I want you to glorify God and bear much fruit. And that is an aspect of the authority that you have as a believer. Authority meaning power and influence. Start walking around your house and speaking words of authority in your house. Start walking around the places that you have and start reciting God's word in your hearing and into your spouse and into others around you. Don't dwell on the negative, but see what God's word says and say that. My wife and I were chuckling about a month ago. I felt impressed to study and to preach on authority and in that month I've been sick for three weeks last night I only slept about three hours and that was only because I took a pill that knocked me out because I couldn't lay still my hip was so sore and here I am talking about authority I'm not going to stop talking about authority because I'm digging in And I'm expecting fruit in my life. And I'm expecting fruit in your life. And the moment you take on... I was was chatting with Renee this morning and I just shared with him. I says, we just found it funny. We want to talk and believe and preach on authority and what happens. And he says, yeah, I'm never asking God for patience. I mean, you be careful what you ask God for, because if you want it, you got to pay the price. And I'm prepared to pay the price. But the price is worth it. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I see fruit around each one of you. When I see God's plan for you, I see that you bear fruit. Are you prepared to pay the price to bear that fruit? And the biggest price I see is found in John 15, abiding. Abiding, abiding, abiding. 
being a person of authority, you stick close to the one who gave you the authority. As I walk as a believer in God's authority, that just makes me get closer to him and closer to him because I'm expecting more and more and more. And I can't do it. I need him. The more you bear fruit, the more you need to abide with him. The more victories you experience, the more you need to abide in him. The more triumphs you see, the more you need to abide with him. You need to say, he is the one. He is the vine. He's the one that produces all the life that comes into me is from him. That's my prayer for you. When we look at kingdom authority and the authority that the believer has, I believe part of the authority is that you can walk in an abundance of fruit. And my prayer for you is that you would have fruit and that it would remain. And as I study this, I see that the key to living an authoritative life, the key to living a life of fruitfulness is the word abide. There are some keys that you see in the scripture. So I want to pray for you this morning. And I'm going to ask God to open your eyes. That you would see what he has for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Creator of all. Your planet creation was that we would be fruitful, that we'd multiply, that we'd fill the earth, that we'd subdue it and have dominion. And that has not changed. And this morning we've looked at the thought of fruitfulness in our lives. And your desire is that we would bear fruit. And as we bear fruit, your desire is that we would bear more fruit. And as we bear more fruit, your desire is that we would be cleansed by your word so that we would glorify you and we would abide in you and that we would bear much fruit. So this morning, Lord, I bring my brothers and my sisters before you. And Lord, I ask that we would think on you, that we would think On your goodness. And that we would be passionate to abide in you. And not to abide in our own thoughts. But that we would abide in you. And Lord I ask for fruit. That they would see fruit. In their lives. From abiding in you. And spending time with you. And following, Lord, with their challenge to spend more time with you in this next month. Lord, may we abide with you. Spend time with you, talking with you. Reading your word. Fellowshipping with you. Abiding with you in our place. Abiding with you in our time. And abiding with you in our condition. I pray for everyone here this This day, Lord, I ask that you would bless them. And Lord, that they would be fruitful this week. 
and they would see fruit from abiding close to the vine. In your precious name, amen. God bless you.